You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. What is it that you consider holy? What is it that you consider holy? What is what is sacred? And then what is ordinary? What is not sacred? What is not holy? I want you to think about that for a minute. What do we consider holy and what do we consider normal, sacred or not sacred? What is it? I ask that question because scripture kind of sets us up with a precedent that is actually not helpful, not serving us best and not necessarily what the kingdom of God wants. Can you believe that that would be in our Bibles? Well, let's talk more about it. I want to start at the beginning of our scripture, okay? The beginning of our scripture uh, talks about this time when the nation of Israel was was enslaved by Egypt, and and they're freed from Egyptian slavery, and so they're a new nation. This new nation needs a new constitution. And so what happens? Well, they do get a new constitution. You might know it better as the Ten Commandments. Yeah, those. That's part of Israel's constitution. And so Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and he gets this constitution from God and he brings it down and he's having this conversation back and forth with God. And all of a sudden, the people of Israel get involved. Now, let's pick it up right there. It says this, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. You see, we create an idea that that the lack of holiness, our lack of holiness, is a failure to connect with God. In fact, we say that that God is holy, we are not, and, and, and Moses says, hey, that's true, but once you can become holy, God's going to like you a lot better. The reason you're so scared now is because you're not holy enough. So right at the beginning, we create a separation between that which is considered holy and that which is not, right? And so in this case, uh, we have God, we have the Ten Commandments considered holy, and we have the people of Israel considered not holy. So based on that information, what do the people of Israel do? Well, the people of Israel decide that these Ten Commandments are incredibly holy. We should build a holy place for them where the holy things can go and hang out, where God can hang out, and where the commandments can hang out. And so that happens. They build something called the Ark of the Covenant. If you are old enough to remember the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're one and the same. Interesting stuff right there. I know it. I know it. And so let me tell you about this Ark of the Covenant. Here's what I'll tell you. Uh, The Ark was where these two stone tablets were. And it was essentially a portable wooden chest made of acacia wood. It was carried on wooden poles attached to the chest on each corner through a golden ring protruding at the front and the rear. And the chest and the poles were overlaid with gold to show how much the ark was valued and esteemed. On the top of the cover facing each other were two golden cherubim, lions or bowls with human heads and outstretched wings forming a throne. And this throne was called the mercy seat or the judgment seat. And this was where God sat and dispensed justice okay 
Now, every time the Israelites made an encampment, the Ark of the Covenant was housed inside a tabernacle. And that was a structure of fine linen curtains. And inside it was a sheepskin and leather tent called the Tent of the Lord's Presence or the Tent of Meeting and the portable altar for burnt offerings and the smaller incense altar and the movable ceremonial washing stand were all housed inside of this temple. Okay, do you see? They've made this thing really, really holy. You're not allowed to mess with it. You're not allowed to go into that tent of meeting. You're not allowed to go into that tabernacle area. And do not by any means go near that Ark of the Covenant. It is holy and you are not. And so what they do is they they actually designate a priest. They designate a priest to go into this area. And before the priest can even go into the area, the priest needs to make sure that they are holy. Now, how do they do that? They put on ceremonial underwear. I'm not kidding. Very true. We've talked about this before. And I'm not kidding when I say this. They tie a rope around this priest just in case the holiness is too much. They can pull that priest right out. But before that priest can even go into this holy place, the priest must kill a bull, sacrifice the bull, and sprinkle blood all over that entryway, that curtain that separates the priest from the holiest of holies, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, once the priest kills that bull with a ceremonial underpants on, sprinkles the blood of that bull all around, then the priest literally creeps in to this holy meeting place where they must light incense to honor God. And that might not even be enough because what happens is we separate the holiness of God, holiness from that which is deemed common, that which is deemed not sacred, us, okay? See, there's a difference between us. We are not holy, but God is holy. And so we must put all these curtains and meetings and tents into place in order to make sure that they stay separate from one another. Now, what happens if the the quote unquote normal or common interacts with the holy? Well, luckily luckily enough, we have that in our scriptures as well. And this is what it says. Uh, It says, The place, the ark of the God on a new cart, that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Aho, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. So what happens when the holy and the common come together? Well, the common's going to get killed, and that's not the only time. God struck down some men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord, and he struck down all the people, 50,070 men, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter, because that's what the Lord does when you mix what is considered holy and not holy. And then there's one story where, where Israel's enemies, the Philistines, they, they steal the Ark of the Covenant. They take it, and right away it's bad news. They end up getting really sick, and they get tumors all over their body, and they get infested with rats. And so right away they decide they have to give it back. And so how do they give it back? I love this story. They create five golden statues that are tumors. We all want statues of tumors in the house, I know. And then they create five golden statues that are rats. And they send the tumors and the rats back to Israel with a note that says, I'm really sorry about that. This was a bad idea because we can't mix what is not considered holy and sacred with that which is considered holy and sacred. Now, I want to make a super quick aside, okay? And I want to remind us that when we read the Bible, 
The Bible is not God coming down and taking a hold of someone's hand and possessing them and having them write down all the things that God thinks. That is not what the Bible is. In fact, we take the Bible way too seriously to believe that that is what the Bible is. So what is the Bible? The Bible is the way that people are imagining and reimagining God in their time and in their place and in their culture. So you have a group of people who are imagining that God is holy and they are not and that separation must be. But as you get further along in the scriptures, people start to change their mind. In fact, we get this uh, quote from uh, the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah says this, um, He says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings, the rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and the lambs and goats. And when you come to appear before me, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing your meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. You see, Isaiah says, hmm, I wonder as I imagine and reimagine God in my time and place, If God doesn't necessarily want the quote-unquote common separated from the sacred or the holy separated from the unholy, what if God wants something completely different? So what do they do to Isaiah? Well, they run him out of town because that's what we do to people who upset our balance or the things that make us comfortable. And we are all comfortable having the holy be separate from the common. This is just something that we're comfortable doing. And so Isaiah brings bad news. How in the world could you imagine a God who would want us around? We are completely and utterly unholy. We are sinners. And so for thousands of years, that's that's what's believed until Jesus shows up. And what did I say on Easter Sunday? For those of y'all who remember, I said one of the biggest reasons that Jesus was killed is because he had the audacity the audacity to claim that God might be just like him, that God might want the same things that Jesus wants, that God might act the same way that Jesus acts, and that God might think the same things are holy that Jesus thinks are holy. Now that's a giant issue for the people. Why is that a giant issue? Because Jesus was a refugee. And if Jesus is a refugee and Jesus is holy, that means God must believe that refugees are holy. People don't like that. And and God was a person of color. And and if God's a person of color, and, and all of a sudden, that means that God sees people of color as holy and those who are in the dominant ethnicity, they don't like that. They don't want that to happen. You see, God uh, might actually believe that people who are politically oppressed are holy because Jesus was politically oppressed and people don't want the politically oppressed to be holy because once you do that, then it means that people who are in power, oh, they got to look twice at themselves, right? And, and, and God sees the homeless and undeserved as holy because Jesus was homeless and underserved. And so people don't like that because all of a sudden we say, well, the homeless and underserved must be that way because they put themselves in that place. How can they be holy? And God was ruthlessly murdered by a corrupt justice system because Jesus was ruthlessly murdered by a corrupt justice system, which means that God sees the victims of murder by ruthless 
corrupt justice systems as holy. And people don't like that because we see our corrupt justice systems as keeping power and order and peace. Do you see why Jesus was killed? Because Jesus had the audacity to claim that there is no more separation between that which is considered common and that which is considered holy. When God gets what God wants, all of it is holy and all of us were holy. And in fact, we get this really, really beautiful verse that comes from Matthew. And it says, at the moment of Jesus's death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split in our own scriptures. We have this wonderful metaphor that says that thing that used to keep uh, the sacred uh, away from that which was considered common or holy from the unholy is torn in two. It is all holy, all of God's creation. And Jesus shows us that. And we have been working ever since to create that separation once again. We have been working ever since to say that, oh, no, no, that can't be possible. The holy could not be all of us and in us and everything. That's not what God wants. We need some separation. And since day one of Jesus's resurrection and ascension into heaven, we have said, no, we're not all holy. Let's keep creating separation, which is why in the book of Galatians, we have Paul who says, hey, there's no Jew nor Greek nor male nor female. We are all one, right? And then in the next passages has to say, and by the way, if somebody isn't circumcised, they're still holy because you have a group of people going, wait a second, they didn't cut off the tip of their penis. I'm not sure how holy they can actually be. Right? We still want to create the separation between that which is holy and that which is not, even though Jesus comes to show us that we, that all of this, that every aspect of it is already holy. There is nothing stopping us from being a part of the holiness of God except us, except us. And this is why we continue to make those separations. Not only was that happening in the New Testament, but then you get a couple hundred years uh, after the beginning of Christianity, you get a group who honestly is no better than our present day Congress deciding which books of scripture are gonna be holy and which ones aren't. And so we have this book of scripture that we've been reading for almost 2000 years and we say it's holy and the things that are outside of it are not holy when it was put together by people who had political motivations. Right? Do, do we see that, that we continue to try to create a line between that which we believe is just common and that which we believe is holy? We've created a theological system that tells us as much. We are sinners. We are no good. We are separate from God. Our sin is no good to God. And so God must be separate through us except for the blood of Jesus Christ because we cannot fathom the fact that God says, no, you're all holy all of you, even you sinners. And so you know what the real sin is? The real sin is not that God is separate from us and that God needs blood. The real sin is that we continue to defy the fact that Jesus calls us holy. And we continue to say, surely not, Lord. And we continue to build that curtain of separation over and over and over again. That is where the sin lies. And this curtain of separation, you have to understand, our religious separation, our religious, us continuing, continuing to believe that we are not holy, that it needs to be separated, that is unfortunately what has brought great chaos and hurt and pain and violence to our nation. 
It stems from, from our belief that there is a God who doesn't see us as holy. And so in the 15, 16, and early 1700s, you have Spanish settlers who are brought to the U.S. and they're brought there with the words to make people holy, to make people Christians. And those who would not make themselves Christians were to be killed because they were not holy enough, which is why before America even sniffed becoming a nation, 90% of the indigenous people in North America were killed off. They were considered not holy and that not holy is responsible for atrocity that we have yet to confront. It is why in our constitution it says that every man is created equal unless of course you are a merciless Indian savage. Then you are not holy. Or if you are enslaved African, then you are not holy. In fact, if that's the case, you are chattel. You are no better than a tool because we continue to proclaim the sin of separation of holiness from God when Jesus shows us that everything is holy. It's why in the 1800s we create the Chinese Exclusion Act because we are afraid that the Chinese are getting the best uh, access to, to gold and the best access uh, to coal and the best access uh, to other resources, in, especially in California. And it's why in 1886 alone, alone, 12 Chinatowns are completely burned to the ground and massacre happens because we say that the dominant white folks are holy, others are not. This sin that continues, even though Jesus comes to tell us that all of us and all of it is holy. It is why this week we have experienced exhausting amounts of gun violence and murder, especially at the hands of our justice system. It is why Dante Wright was killed. And I was watching on the news where Dante Wright's mother, she called him divine. She said he was divine. And my friend Mesa Menenga pointed out a little later, you know what's interesting? That Dante Wright's mother called him divine and yet it wasn't enough for the state not to murder him. And Jesus was called divine and it wasn't enough for the state not to murder him. You see, when we separate what's holy from what we think is common, then we are going to have brutality, uh, militarized brutality and violence at the hands of our legal system that will kill that which is holy. Because Dante Wright was holy, and Adam Toledo is holy, and the thousands that have come before them are holy. But as long as we continue to separate the holiness from that which we think is common... This is going to continue to happen. We must confront a system that says that the curtain must be sewn back up and God must continue to be separate. We must remember that Jesus comes to show us that all of us, every single one of us, are holy. Now this affects the way we even worship. I know for me, for the longest time, for the longest time I could not be a Christian. And I couldn't be a Christian because I was deconstructing my faith. And yet I still felt so incredibly guilty about not praying enough or not reading my Bible enough or not having enough quiet times or not going to church every week or not doing this or not doing that. And I was so guilty because I was taught those were the things that make me holy. And it wasn't until I was able to let go of that God and recognize that I wasn't separate from that God and that God didn't need me to pray eight times a day and memorize that scripture and go to church every Sunday. That's when I could actually come back and be a Christian. That's when I could actually be a pastor, when I recognize that there is no more separation between that which is holy and that which is considered 
common. For some of us, we're going through that same guilt experience right now. We cannot, we cannot fathom the fact that God would love us if we're not doing those things. If we're not doing those things, then we are not holy. It is why to this day, on this very day, there are thousands of churches across America who still will not include the LGBTQIA community and still will not, will not let women preach based on this faulty idea that they are not holy. We are literally killing people over bad theology. And this earth has been around for 14.7 billion years. Humanity has been around for 100,000 plus years. And we have been around for a few decades. And yet we believe, based on our scriptures, that there is this separation and that we are not holy enough and that there is a God who wants to punish us and hurt us, just like that God did 5,000 years ago to somebody who touched an ark. How dare we? What kind of audacity do we have? What if we changed our minds, though? What if we actually believed for a second that Jesus comes to show us that it's all holy, that we are all holy? What would that be? What does that look like? You know, I have this great friend, uh, amazing friend. He's been a mentor from time to time. He's been a babysitter to my kids. He's a former pastor and he was turned away from the church because he's gay. And he came out uh, early. He came out in 1989. 1989, back when there were people who were taught that, that AIDS was a punishment for not being holy enough. My friend is still a Christian today, and I asked him, I said, hey, what is it that kept you going at a time where it would be so easy to reject, um, reject Christianity? And he said to me, there are two things. Number one, I knew that I was fully loved by God. I just knew it. There was something innate within me that told me that I just had to listen to it. I had to hear it. And then secondly, I needed to kill the God that was made in the image of those who hated me. I needed to kill that God that was made in the image of those who wanted to see me gone. I had to kill that God. And that felt a little blasphemous when I first heard it. I said, you know, what, what, what do you mean you, you have to kill that God? And, and he continued. He, he, he said to me, he said, you know, no, I, he said, there are plenty of us. And what we do is this. We make gods in our own image to keep us going, maybe to keep us in line or to keep us from getting into trouble or whatever the case may be. He said this. He said, gods can give us structure. They can help. They can create accountability or clarity. They are useful for a time. And then we have to recognize that they're made in our image and we need to kill them. Wow. I think he's right. I don't think he's wrong. I think he's right. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something I wondered after I heard that. And I'm gonna read it because I don't wanna mess it up. I started thinking, and you should know this is just a thought. I don't know if there's any theological background to this at all. But I think the death of Jesus Christ was just that. God killing the notion that there is a separation between what is holy and what is not. Jesus on the cross put to death once and for all the idea that there is a God who is separate or who needs to be in an ark or a temple. And I think when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think it was because in some sense, God was killing God's self and that Jesus was forsaken to the point where Jesus becomes an atheist. And maybe it's time for us to let some of our gods die. I think about the fact that I did need to kill that God who needed me to memorize scripture, pray six times a day, and act, quote unquote, pastorly. 
right? Y'all know me and y'all know that I'm not, well, I'm not traditionally pastorly, right? And I think about the, the fact that there are times when, when we must kill a God who says, don't get too political, right? Because right now our justice team has partnered with Faith in New York. And what we're doing is we're actually speaking up and they're actually speaking up to help bring about legislation that brings flourishing for all people, not just some people, not just those in power, right? And, and when we do that, we're killing a God who says that, no, you're not supposed to be political for the sake of a humanity and a sake of a Jesus who says, no, it's all holy, even our partnership with faith in New York. And right now, what it is, is it's killing the God of white supremacy. And I'm going to speak to, to my white siblings for a sec. It is up to us to kill this God. Is it, it is up to us to call this God out. It is up to us to say that a God of violence and a God of guns and Second Amendment and a God that continues to look the other way and a God who is afraid to address the fact that Jesus was not a Caucasian, that that God needs to die and we need to kill kill it. It is up to us. Otherwise, our siblings of color are going to continue to get hurt in the name of God, which is absolutely and utterly unacceptable. We must kill the God of white supremacy. We must. We must kill the gods that say people aren't holy because they had drugs in their system or because they were gang members or because they were young and had children over out of wedlock, or because they broke the law, or because whatever else. We must kill the God that doesn't see people as fully human. We must kill that God. And we must kill any God, any God that says there's a separation between that which is sacred and that which is common. Because if there's one thing that Jesus shows us over and over and over again, it is that we're all holy. And so you who are doubting yourself today, you are holy and fully made in God's image. For you who might be a person of color who is exhausted and tired and worn out, I want you to know that we are here for you. We are mourning with you and that you are holy, made fully in the image of God, even when people have created other gods that say otherwise. For those of us who think there's not enough we can do to get back in God's good graces, I'm, I'm queer or I'm different or I, I, I'm, I'm too much, I've sinned too much, enough. You are holy. You are made in the image of God. And the truth of the matter is we should all, all recognize that we are, can tear this curtain apart and that we all have access to the holy and we get to partner in renewing all things and, and we get to wear the holy underwear and, and we get to take stories of fear and sadness and turn them into stories of joy and hope and that darkness and divisiveness, it may have the news cycle, but it will not, it does not get the victory. We are all holy and that is what we need to know today. We need to let some gods die. And one of the gods I want to let die is right now. Communion has way too often been a time of divisiveness. It's way too often been a time where we've divided those who are holy and worthy to take communion from those who are not, who maybe have sinned or who have not said that sinner's prayer, or who have not been baptized or who are, are not good enough or whatever the case may be. Today, we kill the God that says communion is exclusive. And today, I want us to take communion together all of us as holy children of God through Jesus Christ. 
And so here's what I would like you to do. I'd like you to take the bread, the body, the cashew, whatever you want to call it, that which represents Jesus's body. And I want you to think about that thing, whatever it might be, that has long been told as not holy. And I want you to write in the comment section or maybe just in a notebook or maybe on your heart, right? And reclaim its holiness. And so as I said before, I wanna reclaim Adam Toledo, Dante Wright, George Floyd and the thousands that have been murdered before them as holy. Go ahead, write it in. What do you wanna reclaim as holy? I'm gonna reclaim my depression as holy. I've been talking about it a lot lately and I'm happy to because it is, it's part of me. It's allowed me to confront some things. It's allowed me to connect with some of y'all. It's created empathy. It's holy. What do you wanna see as holy? What do you wanna reclaim as holy? I know this one sounds a little, I don't know. It sounds a little ridiculous, but I'm claiming baseball as holy. I went to a game this past week and I can't begin to tell you what it does to my soul. So I'm gonna call it holy. What do you call holy? What's holy to you? Write it in the comments section. And know that as you take the body that has been broken for you, it was broken for you so that there is never a curtain between you and God again. So there's never a curtain between me and God again. That we know that just like Jesus was holy, so are we. Now I want you to take the cup. And I want you to take the cup and I want you to write down what are the gods that need to be killed? What gods in your life, in our lives, in our world's lives need to be killed? I wanna kill the nationalistic God, the God of nationalism, the God that cares more about liberty and about Supreme Court justices than, than about our, our, our siblings who are being murdered. I wanna kill that God. I wanna kill the God of white supremacy. I wanna kill the God of violence. I am sick to death. I wanna kill that God. What God do you wanna kill? What God needs to be killed? What God needs to be killed that stops us from seeing ourselves as holy? Write it in the comment section. Write it in a notebook, write it on your heart. I wanna kill the God of self-doubt. The God that tells me that I'm not good enough and that I'm not gonna be good enough. I wanna kill the God that, that tells me I'm separate. And all those folks who have told me I'm separate and that I'm untethered and that I'm broken, I wanna kill that God. That God is not there. What God do you wanna kill? What God do you need to kill? Write it down. Let's take a drink. I know that this God, <clears throat> I know that this God is for us. The blood of Christ was poured for us not to keep us separate, but to show us that we are continuously and always holy. And what I wanna do today is I wanna share good news. 
What I recognize is that sometimes we see, uh, you know, white pastors, uh, you know, especially white straight cis pastors here in America, we see them as the holiest, right? We see them as the ones who are a cult of personality. They're the ones that that are divine and, and on high and chosen to give the message. And they're the ones who get to write the books. And then they're the ones who get to speak at the conferences and all the rest. And I am so excited to tell you, so incredibly excited to tell you that today we're going to kill that notion a little bit. Today, I want you to know that, that I'm going to take a few steps back from always being the one to speak and that we're going to continue to elevate new voices in the same way that we're, we elevated Mac and, and Sarah into a place of executive counsel with me. We're, go, we're going to do that with other voices on Sunday because the truth of the matter is people like myself, we don't get to corner the market on what is holy and what is not. And the truth of the matter is there are other stories and other viewpoints and other ethnicities and, and other cultures that I cannot speak to. And it's time for us to step up and let others speak just like Mira did last week, just like others are gonna do in the weeks and months to come, I'm excited to let you know that we are gonna to get to hear a multitude of voices. And I can't wait for this multitude to speak. We have incredible speakers lined up. In fact, some people from our own church are gonna speak because you know what? Holiness is not about divinity degrees and people who you know read scripture for a living. It's about folks in our church doing incredible work who have a story to tell, a story that is holy and a story that will move us and change us, just like Forefront has been moving and changing folks for years. So let's get excited about the fact that it's all holy and that the multitude of voices we have at Forefront is holy. And I want you to hear this good news. Today, today, the Spirit is upon us making all of us holy and hovering above our doubts and pains and bringing renewal to the tears that come. And it's bringing renewal to the curtain that's been torn. And it's bringing renewal to the separation. And it's bringing God's sacred and holy intention to us all. And to that good news, I want to say amen and amen. Will you pray with me? God, we are thankful that we have always been holy in your eyes, that we've always been loved in your eyes, that we've never been separate in your eyes. So now we pray for the courage and the boldness to go out and live that way. When we don't, when we can't, we thank you for the grace that comes. We thank you for the love that says, even if you can't, you're still holy to me. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.